someone you should know, a program about people you know, and even more that you don't. Hosted by Stuart Sachs, veteran, husband, father, and grandfather. Now, here's your host, Stuart Sachs. Well, hello again, and it's great to have you again with us for another edition of Someone You Should Know. Uh, we are brought to you this time by our good friends over at No Sweat Experts. You know, we're getting ready to transition now. We're going from spring toward the summer. means you're going from your heating con con air conditioning system from the heat to the air conditioning part. I had, I had uh, my, my guy was out here just the other day. Filters look great. The, the, uh, uh, the air conditioning unit, a little question mark, but he's keeping a good eye on it because they come out and they take good care of you. Not twice a year, four times a year. No sweat experts. Check them out. They'll take good care of you as they do take care of us. So check it out. Okay. And again, welcome to someone you should know. Very, very special guest today from the great state of Rhode Island, John Koenig. John, welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me. Great to have you here. And we are going to be talking about an area that I know absolutely nothing about. And you know everything about it. So I think that makes for a good show. <laughs> you, you, you are a hypnotist. And, and I, I think the first, the first conversation I want to have to you is there are people that probably say, eh, hypnotism, that's just a bunch of hocus pocus. But it is a viable uh, uh, profession that can help a lot of people in a lot of ways. So I want you to take the stage and, first of all, tell people what they really need to know about the advantages of hypnosis. Well, that in 1957, the American Medical Association recognized hypnotism as legitimate therapeutic uh, technology. Uh, other developed countries have as well. Uh, the research uh, supporting efficacy is uh, formidable. Uh, I could point to many different things. Uh, for example, irritable bowel syndrome. It's a problem a lot of people have. It's a terrible problem. And there are medications for it. Uh, Mount Sinai did a, a study and demonstrated hypnotism, hypnotism alone, more effective at dealing with the symptoms than any medication. You know, the mind-body, I, I, in my work, if anybody sat in my office for a whole day, they would be amazed. I might start working with a golfer who wants to improve their, their swing or their putting, or they've got a problem with the yips. Uh, then I might go to somebody who's got a major drug problem and wants to get free of the drug problem. Somebody who eats too much, somebody who has a procrastination issue, and end up the day with somebody who's in a bad breakup who can't stop obsessing about their ex, or somebody who has a job interview coming up and wants a boost of confidence. So you can look at it and say it's hooey. Good, you know, you're not you're not in my target market. Most my target market are people who know about it. Maybe they've known somebody. Maybe their dad quit smoking with hypnotism or something. That's my, my real target market. But it's a learning curve. And I would say if somebody is skeptical, uh, you know, try somebody if you feel motivated to. Um, but I wouldn't try it. The stage shows, Stuart, give us a bad name. 
that yeah and 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 i will i will admit that was the first the first thought that came to my mind i remember when i was a kid and going to a, a performance and it's it's almost like following wrestling there are some people that say it's legitimate and other people say it's just entertainment but uh you know the old crystal ball uh, watch watch the the ball and 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 you're hypnotized and uh when i clap my hands twice you're going to start to quack like a duck uh, yeah, you know, I should put my special glasses on to continue. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> That's. Okay. I mean, if you oh. want to, be, I mean, oh, this is how people yeah. think. This is how people think of us, right? Yeah. I, I, you know, I went to a business meeting once, a, a BNI. It's a networking group, and this guy—he's a banker, a major banker. He—he—he he, he hit his eyes like I was going to zap him somehow. It ain't that powerful. You know, you have to be willing to go into hypnosis. You can't be made to do it. On stage, you'll notice they'll turn people away. They may take 12 people on the stage and they'll end up with four. Because for different reasons, they're letting the other ones go. Some people are very hypnotized and some people aren't. I would never volunteer for a stage show. You know, I don't want to look like a fool. Well, I think it's because you embrace the medical aspect of of what hypnotism right. can right. do, not the entertainment aspect of it. Uh, you know, and and right at the top of the show, I'm I'm surprised you mentioned about irritable bowel syndrome. I have a son with Crohn's disease, and he That's was incredible. on medication for many, many, many years. Uh, eventually, was able to wean himself down, but I had no idea the hypnotism none of the doctors had ever mentioned that even hypnotism was an option. It was all medication. But they may have talked about stress reduction for that kind of a thing. They yes. May have that. Uh, but the way hypnotism seems to work with IBS is, is over and above just relaxation. Uh, something about the mind body connection. Uh, you know, for example, um, I, I could go on and on. The, the digestive system is almost like another brain. And, Everybody says, you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to see what my gut says. Uh, you know, that thing made me sick to my stomach. You know, we respond emotionally. And when your emotions get out of control and you, and you bring it into your body, um, then you, you, you play havoc with your digestion. Uh, it, it can, you know, can be as simple as that. Um, I, anyway. the uh, one area that I think really more people can identify with is how hypnotism uh, has really grown for people that want to give up smoking or give yes. up something that they are, uh, you know, uh, addicted to, if you will, be it alcohol or, or, or tobacco or what. And that uh, form of, of hypnosis as therapy uh, really goes back quite a way, doesn't it? Uh, well, it, it, yeah, it depends on how, how you want to. You can, you can go back if you want to Egypt. Uh, most wow. people, modern hypnotism starts in the 18th century with Anton Mesmer, uh, who, uh, started, started doing it. He had a weird idea about what caused it, but James Braid, a Scottish uh, physician really began modern hypnotism in, in the early 19th century. Um, but you know, but it goes down these two tracks. Uh, Mesmer was flamboyant and theatrical. So even though he was doing medical type things, it was like magic. James yep. Braid knocked out the magic and just a technique that anyone can. We go into trance all the time, all the time. And uh, TV, for example, if you ever have 
little kids morning cartoon show. And they're just sitting there like, uh, you know, their mouth is open. You go in the room, they don't see you. Well, where are they? They're in trance. Yeah, yeah. And in trance, you're highly suggestible. That's what makes hypnosis uh, effective. Uh, ordinarily, we have, a, we have a, a deflector. If somebody says something, you need to buy, you know, sugar-coated chocolate-shredded wheat. Ordinarily, you say, no, I don't need that. It's bad. But in hypnosis, you need to buy shredded chocolate-covered wheat. It's like, yes, because your, your filter, there's a big caveat. It is very, very, very well documented. You can't be made to do anything against your will. Uh, that's been proven time in different studies. They try elaborate ruses. You always have an inner voice that says, uh, no, I don't want to. If you watch a stage show, over the years, I've, I've dehypnotized a few people, women, who went to one of these stage shows, and the hypnotist on stage had them do something embarrassing. And one of them, you know, she'd been molested as a child. And, and now she's on the stage, and he says, you're a stripper, you know, in front of 150 people. And it flipped her out. Um, uh, my uh, malpractice insurance doesn't allow me to do stage work for that kind of reason. You never know what you're going to bump into. Um, and, and, right. and, you know, and the intention is entertainment, not, not healing. Oh, smoking. I, I have an 85% success rate. And, and that's a six-month statistic. I've tracked it for years. The average uh, success rate is between 5 and 7% of serious attempts to quit smoking. And I'm not, not going to claim full credit. People come to me. We have detailed conversations about why they want to do it, what's important, where the triggers are. And then I do it in three sessions. The first to get them ready to. The second is the quit day. And the third is the fall. I've been doing this for years. And uh, I see miracles. There are people alive today because they didn't look at hypnosis and say, that's hocus pocus. They said, I want to find somebody. and I want to get these cigarettes out of my life. Well, you know, and that, and that that brings up a, a point uh, that that person that gives up gives up smoking, and they go out and they get patches that they wear on their arm, and that's yeah. supposed to to, to you know uh, uh, emit some kind of chemical into the into the bloodstream to do. Some people say that's hocus pocus, but so then why why is it fair to say well, but hypnosis is hocus pocus if hypnosis is a a remedy means of getting you to stop smoking, then why wouldn't people want to consider it? Do you find that there still is resistance though uh, to that? That yeah. uh, I've been doing this uh, full time since 98. And before then is something I did. It's either a hobby or uh, in other forms. And I've noticed the resistance has, has declined over the years. Uh, as people become, as people, like I said, if you have a sister, brother, friend who went to hypnotist and got results, you're going to look at it a whole different way. Uh, right. But the, the hocus pocus thing also, uh, and I'll just raise, uh, some people think hypnotism is is um, the dark side. And um, I had a lady and she came to me and she's her pastor had warned her about it. And uh, she's in my office, and you can tell with body language she's upset. And I said, you know, I didn't say hun, but I thought hun. I said, if your pastor, if you feel this way, you shouldn't be here. You know, go do something else. You know, nobody's forcing you to do it. Uh, 
prayer and meditation are, are types of hypnosis. Uh, I was raised in the Catholic tradition where, where we're strong in rosary beads. Uh, you know, if you're doing repetitive prayer over and over and over and over again, you're entering a, a state of trance. Uh, you know, I was raised in traditional Gregorian chants. A lot of that stuff is you enter an altered state of mind. And uh, but if a person has any thoughts about it that is not being right for them, don't do it. Do something else. You know, another good point you bring up, the, the, we talk about that maybe you have a resistance to hypnosis, and yet people will put the earbuds in and for 20 minutes or a half an hour, <laughs> listen to meditation, right. which basically transports you from reality to a a meditative state yes. where you can relax you, you're getting the pictures Stuart. that's the picture you, so so the, all of a sudden if, if you were to put the word hypnosis on that <laughs> was, oh, no 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 i wasn't hypnotized i was just meditating yeah uh, a lot of i've i at certain points i've toyed with the idea and some people do what i do toy with the idea of not calling yourself a hypnotist you know, a motivational consultant or something. But the thing yeah. about about the uh, uh, the med guided meditation, if you can think about a continuum, on one end you've got wide awake, and then you got just relaxed, and then you got guided meditations, interesting television shows, and then actual deep trance. Deep trance, uh, what you might consider people think of as true hypnosis, where we can do things like have you experienced positive hallucinations? If you were if you were a good candidate for hypnosis, and uh, we you had the intention of allowing me to play with this, uh, you could you could be looking and seeing not not me in front of you, but uh, you know a, a talking a talking grizzly bear. Yes, John Koenig is a talking grizzly bear. And if somebody came in the room, you would say, "Look at that grizzly bear there." You know, and you know, do that. That is done with hypnosis. I, I teach a certification. I teach people how to do this work, and they get a kick out of it. You know, the things, and also things missing, like all of a sudden you, you, your your glasses are gone. You, you have no glasses, and I say, Stuart, where are your glasses? And you say, What? I know, you wouldn't see them. Fascinating, right? So that that kind of phenomena uh, goes beyond just being relaxed goes beyond just being receptive. It goes to something uh, qualitatively different, which does make you wonder about the nature of reality, by the way. If somebody yeah. can, can say something to you like that. One of the things they said when James Braid introduced the word hypnotism in 1810 or something, he said he regretted it. He said he shouldn't have call, called it something like, like, um, like tight focus. That basically with hypnosis, you're focusing. If you're focused so much, on something you don't see you know what what what, what else there is uh and that's why people you know get blinded by their own prejudices all they see is their little narrow picture of things but in hypnosis it's extreme and um you know that's when the change there was a study that was done uh radiologists you know people that look at x-rays and and very very important work and very very highly skilled people and what they did is they had you, they wanted to try to find a cancer cell in a lung. So they put a bunch of cancer cells, but they also put three times large in the cancer cells, gorillas, little gorillas, white gorillas. And the doctors didn't see the gorillas. They were 
they were looking for the cancer cells, literally not see them. And it tells you a lot about what it is to be human. You know, everybody, in my opinion, is prejudiced. We grow up and, and we, we, the culture of download and you get all these thoughts. Hypnotism is about untraining you. If you consider that we're all hypnotized, by the time we're seven years old, we figured out are people fundamentally friendly or not? Am I smart or handsome or a good sports or whatever? By the time we're seven, eight, any child psychology will tell you that. So we go around with this belief structure about who you are in the world, who other people are. And hypnotism, a smoker comes to me and they think they can't stop. They'll tell you, that, I can't stop. Well, really? Yeah, they can't stop. I, I get that they think they can't stop. As soon as they know that they can stop, everything changes. Simple as that. It's a reframe, it's called. <laughs> well, in, in that case, the first thing the smoker has to say is, I can't stop, but I want to stop. Yes. Yes. So, so I need to try something. Maybe I've already tried five things and now I need to try something else. And this is that something else. But the first thing you have, you know, am, am I right? You have to be willing to say, I will uh, give this an honest go because if it works, Hey, I've, 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 I've become a new me. Exactly. Uh, and, and, and usually uh, often they just can't stand the consequences. Uh, they can't stand waking up with phlegm or the grief of, or, or the money. Although, frankly, to tell you the truth, in my career, I, I, I don't know, I've done thousands of people. I had one person who quit smoking only for the money. You know, she was Social Security only, and she was in a uh, pharmacy parking lot. She had enough money for either her heart medication or a pack of Marlboros. And she walked out with the Marlboros and said in her car, you know, tears rolling down. She's the only one. If you have a heroin addict or a crack addict, you know, they, and they can't afford the rent, they'll live in the crack house. You know, yeah. smokers are like that. Yeah. And well, and, and I think, you know, in, in, in my case, I'm about getting this close to trying hypnosis for uh, an eating disorder. I, I, I just have difficulty pushing the plate away or cutting the portions down uh, and all. And I know that hypnosis is, is uh, usually is, is very, very often used for overeaters. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I, I don't understand really why more people don't consider hypnosis over the cost of medication because medication uh, as a way to try to beat some kind of a, of an, an addiction, you know, sometimes can end up being far more expensive than hypnosis. Yeah. And less uh, effective. But uh, on the other hand, though, it seems to be automatic. Mm. Even though not everybody responds to medication, it seems that way. And as Americans, we like what we want when we want it without any effort. And the other thing about hypnotism is that, uh, you know, there's variability. Uh, there's the practitioner you work with. There's your state of mind that day. Uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of different factors. Plus your, your uh, ability to be hypnotized. And it varies. There's a normal curve. Some people are very, very adept at it. And some people are very, very resistant. 
so it's easier to pop a pill than it yep. is to, to call me. Now, the, over the over the years, I mean, certainly uh, COVID has affected uh, all of us in in to one degree or another. Would you say that hypnosis, because you you certainly treat some people right face to face in in an office setting, but can hypnosis be just as effective virtually? If I'm if I'm in the state of Washington, I can log in with uh, with uh, John Koenig, and I can get get just as effective uh, hypnotic treatment as I can if I'm sitting in your office. You know, I I, I can't help that I. I tend to respond honestly to things. Um, many hypnotists will tell you, yes, absolutely. I'm not so sure. For example, uh, I heard in the start of the year event, and the VA did a study uh, where they looked at efficacy of psychotherapy remotely, and they found mm -hmm. it worked every bit as well. So there's a study where they demonstrated psychotherapy apparently works fine remotely like this. I've never seen a study like that with hypnotism. And the, the way to think about it is that uh, your eyes are closed. So it shouldn't matter if you're in my office or in your or in your pajamas at home. It really shouldn't matter. Uh, and I've never had a complaint. And I'm still getting the same kind of results. So I guess my short answer should just be Yeah, sure, it works. Every bit is fine. But I would say it's going to be on you a little bit more to bring your A game to the process. And you gotta make sure you got no one in your family that's right. gonna bother you. I'm working with this guy on Zoom and he had two cats. Suddenly one cat uh, goes in his lap. That's okay, we keep going. The other cat goes on the back of his chair and starts doing this with his paw. So I got the guy and we had, and I had one, I was working with this guy and his wife came in to yell at him for not taking the garbage out. So if you do hypnosis on Zoom, you know, make sure you're you know alone. Well, right, you know, same same thing like with with meditation. If you uh, uh, hear some somebody's uh, running a saw uh, uh, outside, and all while you're trying to concentrate on meditation, unless you are really good at it, it's hard to block out extraneous noises on on the on the outside. Yes, yeah, so you start by thinking, "I'm not going to think about the saw. I'm not going to think about the saw." Oh, right. I'm thinking about the saw. In the meantime, you're thinking about not thinking about the saw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I do wish, and I appreciate the the, the, the tack you took. I wish people would. Uh, I belong to a, an association, the National Guild of Hypnotists, and it's the largest association of people like me in the world. They were founded in the early fifties, uh, and their mission is that hypnotism, uh, going to hypnotist, should be as as routine as going to any other professional chiropractor. You know, I got a chiropractor for an issue. And I got a mechanic that does my car, and right. you should have a hypnotist. And I got people who have used me like that for years, sometimes for business things, personal. I tend to go through families where I work with one person and I end up working with everybody at some point with different issues. But I, for some people, are I'm the go-to when they run into uh, an issue. I had a call like that this morning where a guy I've worked with off and on for six, seven years has a new problem. But he knows he can come to me and we'll work it out. All right. Let me ask you this. Is there any association with a, a hypnotic state and a, a, a person who is a quote unquote medium? 
Yeah, uh, and that's not really an area I know too much about. I, I assume that a medium goes into some kind of a trance. So I, 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 I well, you know, yeah, I, I assume that they do some kind of a trance. I, I, I'm not a medium. I have no psychic ability whatsoever. Uh, you know, and uh, I know some. I believe some people genuinely do. I, I don't happen to be one of them. Well, again, that that's you know, again, the the entertainment aspect of it versus the medical aspect of it too. That that a medium supposedly puts themselves in this trance yeah, exactly. in order to talk to somebody that has has crossed over uh, and and share that information or become that that person, uh, you know. But is is it fair to say that whatever? position or trance they put themselves in is hypnosis or it is something else i would say the overall category is is trance uh altered state and uh but it's probably qualitatively the same uh it there are two types of hypnotism one is they call hetero where, where somebody does it to you guided and the other is where you do it yourself for most people myself included Self-hypnosis is much, much more difficult because, you know, you've got your chatter going on in your head, you're talking to yourself, and you're trying to listen to yourself. You know, it's quite different from letting somebody else take the, the wheel. Can someone start with guided hypnosis and oh, yeah. after a while put themselves into a position of being able to self-hypnotize themselves? Well, first off, on my website, I have, I have, uh, I explain exactly how to do self hypnosis. Uh, I, you know, self hypnosis made it easy, and um, I think that if you wanted to, there are lots of books on self hypnosis. It, it, it can be taught. You, you know, you can, you can, you can learn it. Um, that thing about mediums, though, and trance, uh, you know, I don't. It's a whole different world from what I do, frankly, generally. Yeah, it, I, I think it's probably unfair for people to put all of these things into the kind of the same category because they are quite a bit, quite a bit different. Uh, now, your hypnosis, you, you say that you have been doing this since the late 90s? Well, you know, actually before I became certified uh, in 1978. Okay. Uh, and I did it as a hobby. Uh, back in 82, I invented this thing called HypnoVision Video, which at the time was the world's first hypnotic subliminal video. And I got oh. on national television a few times, NBC, ABC News. I got into every bookstore in the country, Dalton, Barnes & Noble. Uh, Doubleday Catalog commissioned me to do an audio series for them. It was a really big deal. And, and uh, I had quit work. I had been an ad guy, and I quit work. And... Uh, and, you know, I was selling to video I, video stores. And anyway, bottom line is that that didn't turn out uh, business-wise as well as I hoped it would. And I, I was amazed. I thought, how do you get a national television and not get phenomenally rich? Well, the answer is it's possible. I proved it. <laughs> well, <laughs> We're going to be scrolling your 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 website uh, uh, across the screen, so people can can drop in and learn a little bit more about what what John Koenig does. Uh, 
But there's another aspect to John Koning that I find very, very fascinating, uh, and that is your exploration of previous lives. And you have a book that is that is titled the the the, the core title is possible my my autobiographies. But keep in mind, folks, that it's a plural word, not my autobiography. This is autobiographies, and I want you to explain why there is an S on on the end of the word autobiography. Well, um, for for many years, I've been interested in past life exploration for myself, and I never advertised it. I never talked about it with clients, but over the years, people would ask me would I do it with them. Everyone I ever worked with like that got great results. But I was dependent on medical referrals uh, for my clients, you know, for weight issues. Uh, I get a lot of uh, psychiatric referrals for certain types of, of issues. And I didn't want people to think I was as weird as I am. But I'm, I'm 74 years old, Stuart. I don't care anymore. So back, I really don't. So there's one advantage. If you got younger listeners, yours, you know, don't wait till you're 74 not to care anymore. You know, I would say start not caring anymore when you're younger than that. But anyway, <laughs> so I published the book, and uh, I'm now public uh, in, in this thing that, that to me has been very meaningful. I started doing it. I met somebody who was a friend, uh, a friend's wife, who was a past life facilitator. And just on a whim, I, I went to her. Uh, and it was interesting, too. I'd had an experience. Do you remember the old S training, Stuart? You're old enough to remember Est. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You ever do Est? No, I no, I didn't. Yeah, it was a very intense thing. It was it was the one where you didn't eat, didn't go to the bathroom, didn't sleep. Right. So I'm there, and suddenly I had this experience, uh, like I was being, like, I was being shot out of my head, and I I, I found myself first. I'm I'm in this sort of pub. In my mind, I'm with these, you know, 150 people, and I'm having this private experience. But I haven't been sleeping, I haven't been eating, I've been exposed to philosophical concepts for three days, and I, I got the experience of of like being uh, my conscience being shot out. Later that the next week, somebody said, you know, oh, you know, my wife does past life work. You might find it interesting. So I went to her, and I I fill in the first part, and she did this process, and I found myself. In the uh, 18th century, I'm, I'm a private uh, Riley, the first Connell Dragoons. And, uh, and I found out, you know, how Riley died. And uh, so that intrigued me. Uh, I was not expecting that when I went to this lady. I, I didn't know what I was expecting. But I began to pursue more with her and then other people. I uh, became trained as a facilitator over the years. Everyone I've worked with with past lives without ex well, a couple of exceptions, uh, I should say that. As you go into hypnosis for anything, past life work or anything, um, nobody can guarantee 100%. I don't care. Uh, you know, there are so many variables. But uh, the vast majority of people I work with have amazing breakthroughs. And why people, people might ask, why should I do that? Why should I investigate past lives? The first part is you have to believe it is real, I think. I, I, I don't like people who just want to like find out if, you know, did I live somewhere? That's what ancestry is for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. Uh, there's an interesting book. I want to mention it before I forget. Um, back in the 1960s in University of Virginia, the head of the uh, psychiatric department, a fellow called Ian, Ian Stevenson, uh, became interested in this kind of thing. And he literally stepped down and started something called the Division of Perceptual Studies at, at um, University of Virginia to investigate past life exploration from a particular point of view. They worked, they, they found children. Parents would say, my kid says so-and-so that he or she has lived before. And they tracked them down with scientific rigor. At this point in time, they tracked down 2,500 plus real documented, they call them solved case histories of little kids who said, I lived before and they went back. Even beyond that, he, uh, he has a, did a follow-up, a couple of books where he shows photographs of birthmarks where the kid says, I was, I was stabbed by a spear in the Roman uh, gladiator times and it was in, in my chest, and lo and behold, birthmark on the chest. Now, these are five-year-olds, five-year-olds. As you get older in life, you can, you know, I saw a Spartacus. I can picture what that was like. But what Stevenson and his people are doing, uh, he's gone now, but his people are doing, is they're, is they're getting little kids and documenting. And some of the cases are famous. You know, Netflix did a documentary, uh, and they used uh, one of Stevenson's things. They were the pilot. That this kid was a World War II uh, fighter pilot, had the ship right, his aircraft carrier right, the location of it, you know how it went down, uh, and they went back and, and he's five years old. So you have a choice, I think, uh, for the listener or viewer, uh, to find out about this or dismiss it out mm -hmm. of hand, just like hypnotism. You can find out about it, or you can just dismiss it out of hand. It's. Uh, and if you do say it's possibly the real way things are, then you might want to look. Now, is the same thing true about looking forward uh, about an afterlife that, that when we are gone from this lifetime, that there is, there is a life afterlife. Yes. You know, and there are a lot of books about that uh, as well. I, I I've done less uh, in, in Tibetan Buddhism. They call it the bardo where you you die in between lives you're in heaven essentially everything ultimately is about god when, when all is said and done you know it doesn't matter your your take on it uh it's all about uh, soul and god and like right. that. but they, they have to life you know people will argue about their opinions about it i, I try not to do that um you know because i i've had a few experiences of being there and that's the thing, by the way, of past life exploration. We talked about mediums a little while ago, and I've worked with people over the years who said, a medium told me I was in the French Revolution. I feel a great affinity for France. Well, that is very different from to go back. For example, one of my, one of my teachers in past life work uh, wanted to access his, uh, improve his ability to play the piano. And he went back and he accessed himself as a harpsichordist in a royal court and actually enhanced his skill. That's quite different from somebody telling you, I think you were, you were a musician, you know, but uh, yeah, I don't think it's particularly valuable to think that maybe you were in Egypt 
compared to you have a problem in, in your current life. Uh, my, my One of my most dramatic stories is a lady came to me and you know, this is a, a good story about, about past life. Uh, and it was one of the more dramatic. She was, she had always gone out with guys who disappointed her. So she would go out with a guy with great expectations. Her friends would say to you, let's, let's say her name was, was Doris. Doris is the same kind of guy. She no, this one's different. This one's different over and over. And she was miserable. The relationships would break up. She'd find that the guys were unfaithful and had the expectation they would be faithful. So she was miserable, had been in psychotherapy and, and understood maybe where it came from in her mind in this life. But she came to me and went easily into trance and found herself as a concubine uh, in Egypt or Mesopotamia somewhere for a minor prince. And in that culture, that was an honorable thing to be a concubine was, you know, what? you weren't a prostitute, you were a concubine. But the prince alluded to the possibility that he might make her a wife. Not only a wife, but his most important wife. He was befuddled by her, I suppose. He was in love or something. The main wife found out about it. And my client ends up in this experience in my office, tears rolling out of her face entombed entombed the head wife had entombed her alive literally waiting for her prince to come literally so she had this experience and it was like oh my god and she became free the, the story interestingly she i found out she dated the guy oh by the way <laughs> I, I forgot to tell you i forgot to tell you where it came from he said to her i want you to know i like you i don't do monogamy before we start dating, you need to know, I don't do monogamy. I like you. And she heard herself thinking, I can change him. And that was what got her to come to me. The absurdity of that, the insanity of that, I can change. He told me this time. He wasn't hiding. So that is a good story. And she dated him anyway, That's without sad. expectation, and broke through. By the way, I'm going to say this. Uh, uh, I don't know if she really was a concubine in ancient Egypt. She doesn't really know either. She knows she had a vivid, powerful experience of it. Whether her subconscious mind manufactured it for healing or it was true, yeah. I'm not even sure that matters that much. Fascinating, fascinating story. Hmm. Yeah. I can't let you get away from this show without, without doing a complete 180 and and asking you to tell us how you came to uh, uh, developing uh, a uh, a slogan for the state <laughs> of Rhode Island yeah. that you know I mean your whole career is in in hypnosis and everything but you became world famous for a slogan about the state of Rhode Island for Tell a short time yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, thank you. I'm I'm from New York, and I had worked in advertising in New York. I I wrote commercials for things like Duncan Hines Cakes, the Stock Exchange, oh, sure. uh, you know, Crisco Shortening, <laughs> and uh, anyway. So I end up in Rhode Island, and uh, I'm working in an agency here, which is defunct now. But and uh, they had as a client the state of Rhode Island, and we had a problem here in Rhode Island. They had research that showed we were depressed. 
They actually had research. Massachusetts was the mass miracle. They were doing great economically. Connecticut is loaded, rich. Our little state is working class, filled with crime, political corruption. Uh, the mob was big here in the government. And uh, we were depressed. So the state of Rhode Island decided they would put uh, $30,000 against uh, a slogan and they would do a commercial uh, lean on people to get, you know, PSAs for free. And, and I got the assignment <coughs> and I had, uh, uh, was a little kid. I used to look at Rhode Island on a map with the ruler. It's so small. It's as small as a, like a county in Texas. Yeah. And <laughs> so I had that thought, I came here and I, and I, I looked around and I said, it's as big as anywhere in the world. It's as big as you want it to be. And that's in the biggest little state in the union came in and then some friends, uh, colleague did a slong about it and it became, it became a big, a big deal here. But, but the thinking of it, you're as big as you want to be, you know, you really are. And, uh, you can choose to be small or you can choose like Stuart Sachs to have your own talk show, for example. Yeah. And, and make it, make it as important or unimportant as you want it to be. Yeah. And I'll, so you developed the biggest little state in the union. Yeah. It was, it was, a, it was a fun time. <laughs> I think that's well, John, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your very busy schedule and all to share some of your thoughts about hypnosis, uh, and, and, uh, and about the things that you do. Uh, and again, folks, the, the, the website is scrolling on the screen right now. Jot right, it down. Right, right down there. Right down there. there yeah, it is. Right, right, right there. Possibilities.nu. <laughs> oh, you know, and my book, Amazon.com. Yeah, check out the book. There my it is. Autobiographies, an introduction to the past life exploration for personal and spiritual growth. You know, possibilities. I, 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 it's fascinating. I think the book cover, the book cover says a lot, too. I look right at that there. low price, 99 cents right now. It actually is on sale right now. <laughs> how, how good is that? Yeah. So buy a half a dozen and share it with your friends. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway. John, thank you very, very much. I use an old quotation to end my show. I say, be yourself because everyone else is already taken. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> slogan. Why not? <laughs> And it, yes, very, very meaningful. And so that will do it for another edition of Someone You Should Know with a very special guest, John Koenig. Thank you very, very much, my friend. Thank you, Stuart. I really enjoyed meeting you. And thank you for having me. Someone You Should Know. You should know.